Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. Wow. Well, today I think we're going to wrap up this message series that we've entitled Wrestling with God. And one of the big takeaways that, that I hope that's resonated uh, with your heart and your soul today is that wrestling with God is, is not for the faint of heart. It's really not. It takes a, a determination. Uh, it takes a passion and even a tenacity uh, to pursue God's heart and to wrestle with Him, maybe over something in your life or just your life in general, just to lay hold of God and kind of like, be like Jacob, you know, and say, God, I'm, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And so over the last several weeks, we've been looking at examples of people who wrestled with God and God answered their prayer. Uh, we looked at Jacob, who said, God, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And God showed up and gave him a new identity and reaffirmed promises in his life. Then we looked at Moses, and Moses prayed to God and wrestled with him on behalf of the Israelites who were rebellious. And the scripture says that God relented and changed his heart in regards to the calamity that he was going to, to bring to them and into their lives. And so Moses wrestled with God, and God said, okay. Uh, then we looked at Abraham, and Abraham bargained with God, kind of like an auctioneer at a sale, and said, God, to a wicked city, said, God, if there's 50 righteous people in the city, would you, you want it. You would not. You would not destroy the righteous with the wicked. So if there's 50, what about 45, 30, 20, all the way down to 10? And each time, God complied. Well, today we're going to, I think, wrap up looking at a question. I think it's really important for us, and that is, so what do you do when you wrestle with God and God does not answer your prayer? What do you do when you wrestle with God and you've wrestled with Him for a long time and God just seems to be saying no, no, no? Well, I think we have an example of that in Scripture. It is in the life of Paul. It's in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And there the Apostle Paul lets us in on a thing in his life that he wrestled with God about. And God said, no. Paul would call that his, what? He'd call it his thorn in the flesh. He said, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. Some of your translations will say to buffet me. That's not to buffet me, <laughs> but to like, torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, concerning what? His what? Concerning his 
thorn in the flesh. Very good. Concerning his thorn in the flesh, I implored. I wrestled with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me. So it's like there could be a pause here. Now, if, if you're looking in your Bible today, this will be in, in a lot of your translations have this in red letters. So it's like Christ breaks in and reveals himself to Paul even further in his life. And this is what Christ says to Paul in regard to his thorn. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So then Paul breaks back in. And it'd be like, okay. Okay, Lord. So you've said no. And then this is what he begins to conclude. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with my thorn in the flesh. I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then, and let's say this together, because I think it really ministers to our spirit when we make this personal. For when I am, what? For when I am weak, then I am, just one more time. For when I am, then I am Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace to us, even in the presence of thorns in our flesh. Father, we would not want to even begin to attempt to do this without your spirit today, Lord, without your power. So we trust you uh, to speak through us, to speak to each life, and each heart, uh, to bring revelation, to, to grow us and to help us to better understand why some things don't change. But in those things that don't change, you change us for the better. So help us to see that today through Paul's life and his words, through your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, it's probably a really good thing that we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh is. It's, it's been talked about that uh, perhaps he had a physical problem. You know, maybe there was a physical challenge in his life his eyesight was an issue perhaps uh, some have even speculated you know that Paul because of how he anguished for the churches and how he was oftentimes by himself and left alone and uh, persecuted and, and distressed that perhaps you know there was a loneliness of soul that was in his life that he just felt uh, there might have been some mental things you know as he uh, psychologically you know dealt with his life I mean, let's think about this for just a second. You know, the Apostle Paul presided uh, over the death of a believer over Stephen in the book of Acts. And, and there he was, and he looked back on his life and how passionate he was about religion under Judaism. And then how he persecuted the church. And then all of a sudden, you know, Christ changes his life. He had to live with his past. Somehow thought maybe there's some psychological, some mental aspects to his thorn in the flesh. So it could be physical it could have been emotional, psychological. But here's one I think that we that really kind of, golly, it hits us in a different way. And, and that is that his thorn, and perhaps your thorn, might be relational. It might be a relational thorn that there's somebody uh, in your life, 
that you would really like to get rid of. <laughs> You'd be like, okay, Lord, this person is a real pain. I have to deal with them all the time. Don't be looking around the room, okay? Don't look at the person next to you. Like, Lord, there's, I've got a pain in my life. It's this person I have to deal with. And just their name just kind of brings up inside of me all kinds of pain and stuff. So, so some thought it might be relational for Paul. The people who persecuted him, uh, the Judaizers who followed him and wanted to undermine his ministry. It's probably a really good thing that we don't know exactly what his thorn in the flesh is. Because since it's left open, it's like a blank. Then we can insert our thorn in the flesh. We can insert our thorn in the flesh. So what is your thorn in your flesh? What is the thing that tends to get you down? Haunts you at times? Pursues you? Makes you feel discouraged? Maybe even makes you feel defeated? What we've learned is that everyone... In some form or fashion, they have their own unique version of a thorn in their flesh. And it just won't go away, no matter how hard they try. Well, today, we are going to look at the second part to this message. And I believe that Paul presents to us five life-changing paradoxes that help us to better understand thorns in the flesh. Five life-changing paradoxes. We're going to call these kingdom paradoxes. And when you study Scripture, you will identify that Scripture is full of paradoxes. And some of you are going, what in the world is a paradox? Well, a paradox is a proposition or a statement that when you hear it for the first time, it seems to contradict itself. It might even seem to be absurd. It, it doesn't make sense. Let me give you an example of a paradox. A paradox would be like if I said, or you said, I am nobody. I am nobody. Well, that's not true. That's a paradox because I exist, therefore I'm somebody. I'm not a nobody. Someone says, I'm a nobody. That, that is a paradox. Someone might even say, you are a wise fool. It's a paradox. How can you be wise and foolish or a fool at the exact same time? Uh, or as uh, George Bernard Shaw once wrote, he said, what a pity, what a pity that youth must be wasted on the young. That's a paradox. But what's, what's interesting about paradoxes is that when you examine it, you go, but wait a minute. There might be some truth to what is just said. There's actually five or at least five paradoxes, kingdom paradoxes, that we see in this text in regards to Paul's thorn. And I want to remind you of something else, too, that I think really was a big takeaway from last week. Because Paul asked God to remove his thorn in the flesh, and God said no. Paul concluded that the reason it was given to him, and that language is somewhat uh, unnerving, that it was given to him. We'll talk about that in just a second. But he said, 
lest I be exalted like above measure. Lest I be exalted. In, in other words, God had shown him some really great things in his life, some revelations there earlier in the text. And Paul understood that because of that in his life, instead of producing in him the humility of Christ, he was prone to becoming proud or arrogant. So his thorn came into his life as a, as a means to keep out of his life another thorn. His pain, his thorn, was a redemptive pain. You see, redemptive pains have a way of purifying and detoxing your soul. They make you better over time. They have a redemptive purpose. Paul saw his thorn as a redemptive pain in his life to keep out of his life a destructive pain. Destructive pains bring to ruin. There's great trouble and challenge and when destructive pains come into our lives. They, they destroy, they bring to ruin, they, they don't build up. They actually tear down. We remember what Scripture says when Scripture says, pride always goes before a what? A fall. So his redemptive pain, his thorn, was to keep out of his life another thorn, a destructive pain. He saw that as a redemptive purpose in his life. He was pinned down for a purpose. But then throughout the text, he reveals to us five kingdom paradoxes about thorns in the flesh. Here's the first one. Uh, this is going to come right through the text. So, guys, if you just want to start with verse 7 on the screen, uh, we'll flow right through these and we'll pull them out in the text. 2 Corinthians 12, back in verse 7. The first kingdom paradox that's presented to us is when Paul says, the thorn was given to me. If I gave you something, what would you call that? What would you call that if I gave you something? When we think about something that's given to us, we think in terms of it being a what? It is a what? It is a, a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. Paul saw his thorn actually as a gift to him. And here's what happened through his, his thorn. God used an evil means... That God himself does not cause to accomplish his holy purpose in Paul's life. God used an evil means that God did not cause to accomplish God's holy purpose in Paul's life. And what's interesting about this is he calls this a messenger of Satan. As Paul saw that as something that came from an evil source in his life. What God does is God takes and uses the evil source and does redemptive things in Paul's life. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you've experienced. I don't know uh, what's happened to you in your life. I don't know what your thorn in the flesh is. In fact, some of you, when you think about the pain and perhaps the memory of things that happened to you, perhaps there's no other word that you can ascribe to what happened than the word evil. It was just evil what happened. But God took that 
And God takes that. And God wants to take that. And He wants to use it for a greater good in your life and in your world. And here's what He does. God takes an evil means. He accomplishes a holy purpose. But then He defeats a greater evil purpose when He does that. In other words, God is so sovereign, and He is so good, and He is so great that He can take evil means and defeat greater evil means through those evil means to bring about His good in your life. He's stopping stuff. He's controlling stuff. He's limiting stuff. Even when you feel great pain in your life. And for Paul, his was pride, and arrogance. The second kingdom paradox is that a thorn in your flesh may feel like your enemy. Your thorn in your flesh may feel like your enemy, but in time, it may become your bestest friend. Feels like an enemy. But in time, it becomes your, and I know this is not grammatically correct, it becomes your bestest friend. When the redemptive purposes of God are, are coming about through your life and you realize that your pain is actually making you a better person and, 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 and helping you to grow in your life, then you begin to see that my, my pain is actually a friend. Now, there's an underlying fallacy that has to be addressed with all thorns in the flesh. An underlying lie that helps us. Once we see the truth about it, it helps us to begin to process and to deal. Here's the lie. It is the belief that you would be a better person, that you would be more effective, and that you'd be more fruitful in your life if you did not have this thorn in your flesh. Why do you want to get rid of it so bad? Why does it seem to be something you want to extract out of your life? It can't be removed by taking a pill or having surgery, but you want it gone, right? Because you have come to believe that in order for you to be the best version of you, it's got to go. Now, granted, granted, Thorns in your flesh can be debilitating. They can get you down. They can get you distracted. But here's the thing. The truth of the matter is, God understands and God knows that you can actually be a better you. You can actually be more effective and you can be more fruitful because of your thorn in the flesh. See, a lot of us, what we do is we give our thorn in the flesh more power over us than it rightfully has in our life. The issue is not, do you have a thorn? The issue is, how are you dealing with your thorn? How do you respond to it? How do you react to it? Do you dwell on it? Do you give it more power than what it needs over you? Do you try to protect it in some way and have fear of exposing? Because last week we said, they can be embarrassing. It's not so much that you have one. The issue is, how are you responding to it? You actually may be giving more power to your thorn over you than what your, your thorn could ever rightfully have over you. 
But thorns in time are gifts. Might feel like an enemy, but it might be your best friend. All right, let's just stop there for a second. And let's just let that soak in for just a second. So God, you're telling me that this thorn in my life that I want gone so bad. This is actually for my good. And I will be more fruitful. I'll be more effective. I'll be more helpful because of it. You ever met somebody and, and they were going through something, maybe they were experiencing their own thorn in their flesh and maybe going through a very difficult time and they began to share with you what they were experiencing. Wow. I saw it this morning. I saw this today. I saw it happen today. And when I saw it today, it was glorious what I saw. You ever met somebody and they came up and they said, let me tell you what's going on in my life. And they began to share with you their pain and their hurt. Maybe you hadn't been exactly through the same thing, but you went through something similar. Because you went through something similar, or maybe you're dealing with something similar, you began to impart to them some encouragement, some wisdom, some understanding. Well, you were able to tell them and share with them, help them at the end of the day to keep their head up and to keep going. Why is that? Because your thorn in your flesh makes you a better minister to other people. We've said it a million times. You minister best to that through which you have personally what? You minister best to that through which you have personally suffered. Might not be able to say, I exactly know. Not in your shoes. But my situation has been similar. Therefore, I'm meeting you right now to encourage you. Keep your head up. It's going to be okay. And you can put a smile on your face because you've seen the redemptive hand of God in your life because of your thorn. Here's another paradox, number four. You can be content. This is going to hit us in verse 10. You can be content. And we'll jump back up to number three in just a second. You can, this is number four, you can be content with your thorn. You can be content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, and with difficulties. To be content, and we'll jump back at the beginning of verse 10, to be content with something means that you basically accept it in your life. You're no longer fighting it. You're no longer wishing it would change. You're no longer praying to God. Paul prayed three times, number of perfection, completion. He prayed three times. God said, he, he just finally came to a point in his life and he said this, okay, it's all right. This is my thorn. And I've got to live with it. And I'm going to live with it. I accept the consequences of it. There's nothing I can do that can change my thorn in my flesh. 
What has happened is happened. How I hurt is how I hurt. The pain is the pain. There's nothing I can do to change this. But I am now learning how to live with it. And it's okay. I'm content with my thorn in my flesh. Doesn't mean I have to like it. But I'm content with it. And it's okay. And my goodness, when you begin to accept something as it happened and that you can't change it and it's okay. It's all under the the grace of Christ. Then you can begin just to to move on and you accept it and you're content with it. The, The third one that we flew over real quick is that God's power is actually perfected in weakness. God's power is actually perfected in weakness. Now in the text, and this is in verse 9, when Christ speaks to Paul, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Many translations identify that older manuscripts actually say, for my power is perfected in weakness. My power is completed. My power is finished. Whose power is this? This is God's power in us. It's actually perfected and completed when we're weak. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, I want you to see this in this text. Paul writes, he says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were, and these words that are highlighted, let's look at these together, they were not many wise according to the flesh, and not many mighty, and not many noble. But God has chosen, oh, by the way, the emphasis there on when it comes to those who were wise and those who were mighty and those who were noble. When it comes to God using them, there were what? There were, let's go back. Next part. Let's do this one more time. Okay. For consider your calling, brethren, there were what? This side got it. Let's see if this guy's side can get it. For consider... You're calling, brethren, that there were what? And you guys get it too? There were what? There were not many. There were not many wise. There were not many uh, mighty. There were not many noble. But, verse 27, but God has chosen to use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Paradox. It's a paradox. He uses those that are not mighty, those who are not wise, those that are foolish to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things, the lowly things, the rejected things, the despised things. And let's just not make them things, but let's personalize them. The not many things wise people, the not many noble people, the foolish people, the base people, the weak people, God uses. The despised, God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he may nullify from a world perspective the things that are. So that no flesh or no man may boast or glory before God. What glory 
glorifies God the most is when His reflection of Himself shines through your life. So people say, can't use her, can't use him, despised, rejected, shamed. No, no, no. And God says, those are my kind of people. Because he is most glorified when his reflection comes through our lives. The last one. When I am weak because of my thorn, then and only then am I strong in the Lord. When I am weak because of my thorn, a paradox. When I'm weak because of my thorn, then and only then am I truly strong in the Lord. There's no story of this man this man he owned a, an orchard loved his orchard every year just took immaculate care of his orchard there were times in the dry season of, of the year that he would have to go back to the back side of his orchard and he'd have to hand water his trees back there. And he had it down to a science. He knew just the right amount of fertilizer, just the right amount of water in a five-gallon bucket. Every morning, every evening, he knew what to do. One day, this little boy showed up on the farm. The little boy said, Sir, I'd love to have a job working for you. The man thought to himself, and he said, I really don't know what I can give this young man to do. Then finally it dawned on him. Those trees that are on the back side, they have to have a certain amount of water each day. I'll get this little boy to hand water those trees. So he said to the little boy, he said, I want you to go find yourself a five-gallon bucket. And there's a river on the back side there, and you just go down to the river, and I want you to scoop up a fresh five-gallon bucket of water and in the morning and in the evening, if you'll just water those few trees on the backside of his property, that'll be your job for the summer. So the man began to notice over time that things looked good. But then time went on a little bit more, and he began to notice that the trees on the backside started kind of turning brown, their leaves around the edge. Some of the leaves started falling off, and he began to wonder to himself, man, gee, what's going on here? I've perfected this thing over years, and my trees, they're not thriving like they usually do. And so he thought, and he thought to himself, and he called the little boy, and he said, you've been watering the trees morning, evening, five-gallon bucket out of the river, just like I've asked you. He said, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Finally, the man said, let me tell you something. He said, why don't you bring to me that bucket? The boy said, okay. The man looked up across the field a little bit later, and here comes the little boy walking across the field holding his bucket. And this time, the, little boy, the bucket just seemed to be heavy. The man said, let me see that bucket, son. Looked at the bucket and began to notice that there was all this mud, gravel built up on the bottom of the bucket. He realized the little boy, when he'd been going down dipping to the river, he was dipping up some mud, some gravel. Dawned on him. Hey, these, these trees, they're, they're not getting 
they're not getting all the water that they need. Not only that, they're, they're getting some contaminated stuff as well. He said to the little boy, he said, hand me that bucket. And he took the bucket and he began to clean out the mud and the gravel out of that little boy's bucket. He said, son, now you take this. This is a clean bucket. You do as I say. And guess what? Over time, those trees begin to thrive. You see, every single one of us, we have our own buckets. We got our own buckets. Your neighbor, she's got her bucket. He's got his bucket. We've all got our own buckets. Over time, we can begin to think, you know what? Hey, I, I've got this stuff figured out. Hey, I'm pretty good. Pride begins to come into your life. Self-sufficiency. Hey, I've done this. I've done this. I've done this numerous times. I can do this. Tomorrow morning, some of you, you'll go to your job, and you're going to depend upon your, your history and your education. You're going to think, you know what? I think I've got this. I finally figured this out, and I promise you, tomorrow you'll be hit with something that you hadn't been hit with in 20-something years. Our buckets, they get filled over time with pride and self-sufficiency. God, through your thorn, is cleaning and purging and detoxing your life to empty you of self-sufficiency so he can fill himself, fill yourself with him. He's cleaning out your bucket so that you can be filled with him. Your neighbor, your co-workers, they don't need your best. In fact, your spouse, your children, they don't need your best. They need God's best through your life. The people that you work with tomorrow, they don't need your best. They need God's best through your life. They need God's best in you. And he uses your thorn in your flesh to get his best out of your life. When I'm weak, then I'm truly strong. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.